Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, great to wake up today and come and see your beautiful smiling faces. You know, the, the sun is not shining, but the sun is shining. You know, you get that play on words. Did you guys have a good spring break? Did you have a good spring break? You did? So the 20 that went to Memphis um, over spring break, um, we had a phenomenal time. Is that, is that appropriate? Phenomenal time. Um, this, was, this, prob- this spring break was probably in my top five spring break of, of all time. Uh, may- maybe top three. Maybe top three. Um, we're going to be heading back to SOS in 2020. So you guys, you don't want to miss it. Um, it's such a, a good time. We'll probably bring at least 10 to 15 freshmen. You know, they're in high school right now, those freshmen, but we're going to bring them. Um, so just remember, you know, you got to jump on board. You got to, when sign up comes, you just, you got to go quick because it was great. So, so, you know, you, you probably were wondering what were some highlights for me. Like, Mike, what were the highlights of spring break? Well, the car ride down for sure. Big, big high, highlight. I'm pretty sure that uh, it's most of anybody's highlight, too. Kat's not here. Is she here? Oh, Kat is here. Yeah. Um, we've done trips together. Always a highlight to ride down with, in the car with me, right? Um, uh, knocking down a chimney with Grace and Janessa. Highlight. Highlight. Oh, and Jake McCown taught us all an exercise that he learned in the Marines. Highlight. You can ask him about that later. Total Highlight. Um, Chris hitting the rumble strips, right? Highlight. Highlight, right? Um, I don't know if Kibben's here, but he likes snacks. Highlight. But uh, nothing tops this right here. Um, Kurt, where are you? Kurt, come on. Come on up here. Kurt, come on. Join join me in. (laughs) Jake, where are you at? Jake, Jake, come on up. Come on up, Jake. Come on up, Jake. So, so, so I went, um, well, I went to prompt care um, to get a topical steroid um, on Wednesday. I, I went to prompt care. Um, why did I do that, Kurt? You get a little itchy? Yeah, why, 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 was, why was that itchy? Maybe some, some poison, poison ice. Yeah, yeah. So, so here I was thinking, dang. Anyone else dealing, dealing with this? So I posted this to our group, um, quoting me to our, to, our, to our group. Who cleared trees in shrubbery? Um, anyone else get poison ivy from clearing the trees, or I, am I the only lucky guy? Chloe Clark, at Kurt Hugelman. Kurt Hugelman. I did! Exclamation point. <laughs> me. Dang, and you're an Eagle Scout, too. I was looking, but it escaped me. I got some real bads, my dudes. Kurt Hugelman. I know. I was, wasn't even thinking about looking. I feel bad. I only got a little bit on my arm. Yeah. Anna Yankee just joins the conversation. I saw it and avoided it. Where are you at? Yeah. 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 Yep. There's no I in team. Anna, no I in team. So if you're looking for Anna to have your back or your front, you might as well, you're on your own, okay? You might be up a, up a creek without a paddle. 
with Anna on your team in a little pickle, batting with a little sticky wicket, right? So just so you know, I asked Anna if I could share this, and she said yes. And I thought it was funny, real, real funny, real funny, Anna. Uh, but it was a fantastic trip. And I don't know if you can see my beautiful poison ivy. Oh, yeah, no, no, it gets, it gets better. I'll spare you. All here, spreading down here. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Poison Ivy team. All right. Ah. Real funny. Real funny. Okay. Uh, it really does itch a lot. <laughs> um, I'm glad to be finishing up Bruchko with you guys this morning, finishing up the story. Just a reminder, um, if some of you are new or newer to Sundays with Cornerstone, um, today isn't a typical, won't be a typical Sunday. I'm finishing up the biography of a man named Bruce Olson. Um, Bruce risked his life in the late 50s, early 60s to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a deadly tribe deep in the Amazon uh, but before I give the recap and then catch you up with the second half of the story, would you guys pray with me? Father, we, we pause and just ask you that your name would be great in our lives. God, that you would make your name great through us on campus. That your name would be great in the dorm that I live in, the house that I live in, the apartment that I live in. Father, I know that you are here. You long to do good to us. Will this story of what it looks like to live out a gospel change in our lives impact us. So, Lord, we invite you here, Spirit, do your work. For some of us, Lord, open our eyes to see your beauty that we might choose you over all the lesser things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, if you weren't here with us uh, a couple weeks ago, Here's where we've been. Bruce Olson was a shy 14-year-old who loved books and languages. And at 14, he began to teach himself Hebrew and Greek and Latin, and the year was 1954. He grew up in a strict home, and when he became a Christian at 16, his father began mocking his newfound faith. But at his new church, he heard a missionary from New Guinea speak about how there are people in the world dying to hear the message of Jesus Christ, the very hope for their lives. And Bruce at that time felt a call to go to South, South America, but still he pursued his studies. He wanted to be a linguistics professor and he entered college. But he knew that he was being asked by the Lord to go to South America to work with the natives there. This led him to quit school. He hopped on a plane, he had $70 and he flew to Venezuela. He didn't know any Spanish, but he was able to pick it up shortly after his arrival. He met a doctor who worked with the Indians in the Orinoco River who said that he was going for a two-month journey and would bring Bruce along with him. And the doctor then dropped him off at a tribe along the riverbank that spoke only a little broken Spanish. 
There were missionaries who worked there, but they rejected Bruce's arrival. He had no mission agency, no church backing. He, all he wanted to do was help the Indians. After a month and a half, Bruce concluded he did not like it there very much. So after the doctor picked him up and brought him back to the city, Bruce found his way to Caracas, where he met the head of the Department of Health. And this man hired Bruce to teach English to medical students that were learning jungle medicine. After months, Bruce's boss asked him if he was serious about going to work with the Indians, and Bruce said that he was. Then they had a conversation that changed his life. They talked about a tribe called the Motolones. No one knows anything about them except they are brutal, they've killed or wounded every white man they have seen, and they are extremely isolated. Within a week, Bruce was on a bus back to the jungle. He was going to the Motolones. His jungle reentry uh, was met with piercing arrows by a new tribe, the Motolones, so he thought. He spent four months there learning the language and then learned that they weren't the Motolones at all. They called themselves the Yukas. It took him several more months trying to convince the Yukas to bring him to the Motolones, for even they didn't want to go into their territory. Finally, after being taken from tribe to tribe to tribe where he needed to learn a new dialect of Yucca, he found a group that would take him. And after days and days of walking in the jungle with a couple of guides, Bruce finally meets a Motolone. And running for his life, a large shaft of an arrow hits him in the thigh. Three Motolones surround him, and the one who shot the arrow yanked it from Bruce's leg, and this caused a rush of blood and pieces of his muscle to be pulled out through the opening. The Motolones brought them to their home, this huge beehive-like structure, took him inside and threw him down on a mat. He lay there for a month before being compelled to get up and leave. He hobbled to the river and followed it into the mountains. For four days he walked with nothing except a few bananas until he came to a place where he heard the familiar sound of an axe hitting a tree. He saw two farmers, and running to them, he collapsed. The farmers gave him some food and brought him inside. He recovered, and later he asked how far it would be for him to get to the original town from which he had departed. They had never heard of it. Where's the closest town, Bruce asked. Recon Honda, they said. Columbia? I'm in Columbia? He said, and he asked for a map so he could retrace where he had been the past two years. Looking at the map, his eyelids got heavy, and he fell asleep. Ready? He woke up the next day, and the colonists took him to town. There he bought new shoes, khaki pants, and a shirt. He wanted to get to Bogota, the capital, but only had enough money to get halfway there, so he bought a train ticket and boarded he had no idea how he would get to Bogota, but once he did, he knew then he could get his bearings straight. At one town, the train stopped, and the military boarded, apparently looking for dissidents. Where are your papers, a man asked, holding a gun at him. I don't have any papers. I've been in the jungle, Bruce said. Apparently, the man did not believe him, and he called his commanding officer in Bogota. They gave Bruce a meal, and the commander said it would be good to send this suspicious man to Bogota for questioning. So they fed him and brought him to his destination. In Bogota, Bruce tried to convince the soldiers, I had been in Motolone territory. Finally, they sent him to the head of the Indian Commission in Colombia. Bruce told him about his experience with the Yucas, and this man then went and asked an anthropologist. Apparently, Bruce's story checked out. The head of the Indian Commission in Colombia 
met Bruce again and told him, I believe your story. And then he assumed legal responsibility for Bruce. He gave him money and helped him find a place to stay. Bruce spent a month in Bogota and attended a church there. At the church, he met Mr. Martin, an oil executive from the States. Mr. Martin introduced him to the head of Colombian Petroleum. Bruce told him his story, to which the gentleman replied, anyone can fly over a territory and see it. Disgusted, Bruce started to leave when the man asked, do you want to go back again? Yes, he answered. In two days, we have a plane leaving from the area if you'd like to go. Thank you. I'd like that very much, Bruce said. The jungle seemed strange this time. He had brought three books, including a Bible and lots of goodies. He knew it would be dangerous to walk right into a Motolone camp, so he camped at the juncture of three Motolone trails. He had enough food for a week, and that day he walked the trails and he left gifts for them. At one spot, he lay a brightly colored cloth, and he left axes laying flat down on the trail. He was told that before he left, the Motolones would put arrows pointing down, sticking straight out of the ground, and it would be a sign of war for whomever encountered them. So he laid the axes flat. A week went by. He ran out of food. He, f- he fished a nearby river and checked on his gifts. They were still there. Two weeks of camping in the jungle. Nothing. A month went by, and he became frustrated. The next day, uh, he went to check on his gifts, and they were gone. He left more gifts, but this time there was a bow and arrow. They were exchanging gifts. It was exhilarating. Each day his gifts were gone, and he went back on. He went back to leave, and he found more. But this time he found four arrows sticking into the ground straight up. The Motolones did not want him there. Then he had an idea. He pulled the arrows out of the ground and laid them flat and put gifts on top of them. Just then he heard a rustling. He was being watched. He walked a little and stopped quickly, and so did the rustling. He remembered a Motolone phrase he was sure meant, Come here! Gayukaba Dobokubi! He yelled, Gayukaba Dobokubi! Later he learned that what he was actually saying was, Come here, you lazy, worthless people! A small setback he was unaware of. After two months of laying out his gifts, he was getting tired and angry. One day after checking on his gifts, he ran back to his camp and began chopping down trees. He was going to build a raft and get out of there. After he felled the second tree, he looked, and before him were six Motolone Indians with arrows knocked. Bruce jumped behind a tree and dropped his axe. Peering out from the tree, he showed him his hands. They were empty. The Motolones then loosened their arrows. One of them stepped forward. Bruce remembered him. He was the only nice member that he had met. And, and, And here, he had found him again. Bruce smiled. He smiled back. Bruce smiled bigger. He smiled bigger back. Then this man turned to his friends, and they began jabbering and talking and laughing. And Bruce laughed too, but not sure, sure exactly what about. Then, then the man led Bruce to the, into a clearing, and soon every member of the tribe began poking and grabbing his arm hair and pulling out his unusual blonde hair. He had done it. God had allowed him to make contact once again with the Motolones. That evening, they allowed him his own hammock to sleep in. It was tied into the rafters of their their hut. It was a 10-foot climb to get into it. 
Bruce fell a couple of times to their amusement, but finally made it, and while laying there, he heard the explosive Motolone language as they sung, swaying in their hammocks. Soon he would understand what he was listening to. He was home. He was home, and he was drifting off to sleep. The next day, they traded names. Bruce Olson, he said, pointing to himself. One man tried to say it. Bruchelonga. He said, Bruce shook his head. Bruce Olsen. The man tried again. Bruchko. Bruce Olsen, Bruce said. And the man smiled and nodded. Bruchko. He said, and he turned happily to all the men with him and said, Bruchko. Soon the entire group spread it around. He was Bruchko. He was a celebrity. They mimicked his speech. They squeezed his arms. They rubbed his belly. They would watch him eat. Everything he did was interesting to them. Right away, Bruce began working on the language. With the kids, he decided to do a little act of removing his eye and pretending to clean it. Then he would put it back. Then he would take out both eyes and pretend to put them back in cross-eyed. Each time, he would listen and write down what he heard. Through this little game, he was able to pick up the future past and present tenses as the kids described to one another what Bruce was going to do, what he was doing, and what he did. For a couple of days, he watched the men make arrows. He tried to make some himself, but it required a great deal of patience. He would watch the women weave, but like making arrows, this was only interesting for a day or so. He began to wish that the day was only three hours long. He made himself listen to their meaningless jabber till he was too tired. A fog of depression began to cover him. But why? The Motolones were a cheerful, gentle people. Once he saw two brothers fighting, and the mother picked up a chicken head and began to gently peck at the boy's legs. The son burst into tears. This was the harshest, harshest form of punishment that Bruce ever saw. But there were certainly things that Bruce was not attracted to. The communal home that housed 80 people should have been a perfect place for cooperative living. But each family lived a life of its own. If one family had too much food while another family didn't have enough, they never shared the excess. It was just thrown away. One family might live right alongside another for some time, and they would never exchange names. The population of a home changed constantly. One family might pack up and just leave without warning. No tears were ever shed. No signs of pain or sadness were ever shown. They didn't seem to have those emotions, and it made all their smiles and constant laughter seem pointless to Bruce. When you get down to it, Bruce thought, these are uncivilized Indians with none of the feelings that I can relate to. And why was the language so hard? He was making very little progress and didn't want to wait three months, uh, like with the Yukas, to be able to communicate. He looked for shortcuts, but he found none. He lay one day in his hammock watching the cockroaches crawl across the ceiling when a boy brought him some food. What is your name? Bruce asked. After almost an entire year, this is the limit of what he would be able to communicate. Kobedra, he said. Bruce guessed that he was probably about 13 years old for he did not yet have the G-string, which was a sign of a Motolone man. They sat looking at each other while they ate. It was the day of the big Montalone fishing expedition, and Kobedra urged Bruce to go with him. Kobedra offered his spear to Bruce for him to try. Bruce did, and he failed. Try again, he said. Bruce grabbed the spear and mimicked the rest of the tribe by yelling and screaming. The next morning, his throat was sore from all the yelling. At first, he could hardly talk, and later, his voice was lower than usual. 
That afternoon when he got hungry, he went to Kobedra and asked him for a banana. Kobedra brought him an axe. He, he was confident he had the right word. So he asked again, and Kobedra took the axe and handed it back to him. Then he had a crazy thought. He pinched his nose, and this time making his voice higher, he asked for a banana. Kobedra returned with a banana. The Motolones had a tonal language. Every book he had ever read said that tonal languages don't exist in South America. Uh, South America. It was a breakthrough, and in Kobedra was someone he could talk with without feeling embarrassed. Kobedra's father was a distinguished member of the tribe. He was sensitive to his son's friendship with Bruce, so he encouraged this relationship to continue. He came to Bruce one day and told him to follow him. He went outside, and Kobedra was there standing, looking very nervous. Two other Motolone men were there, and they all walked into the jungle without saying a word, stopping at a clearing. Kobedra's father solemnly produced a G-string. And Bruce realized with a chill he was about to see Kobedra become a man. It was a little ceremony that ended with Kobedra slipping on the G-string proudly and his father turning to Bruce and the other said, his name is Bobir Shora, he said. He is a man. He is no longer called Kobedra. From now on, his name is Bobir Shora. Bruce tried to pronounce the name, but he couldn't manage. Uh, finally, he gave up and said, Bobby and it seemed to fit. The others tried it too, Bobby. From then on, the whole tribe adopted the name Bobby. Afterwards, Bruce was bewildered. He knew that during these ceremonies, a, a pact was established with those invited for him. There was none. So Bruce asked Bobby's father to make him arrows so that he could be a pact brother with Bobby. When the day came, Bruce exchanged his arrows with Bobby. Bobby looked them over. He was really pleased. These are beautiful arrows, Bobby said. I accept you as my brother. Together they sang the traditional song of brotherhood. We are brothers and there is nothing in the world that can tear us apart. Soon afterwards, Bruce went walking the trails with Bobby. And Bruce noticed that Bobby followed him. This meant that Bobby has accepted Bruce as his personal leader, someone he looked up to. One day, while walking the trails, Bobby leaned next to Bruce and said very quietly, Bruce, I am named in the heavens. Bruce didn't understand. What about Bobby Ashura? No, Bobby said. My real name is in the heavens. That is my secret name. He went on to explain that every Motolone has a secret name that is his real identity. Only the father and a few others knew it, and if someone knows it, it gives that person complete power over them. You're telling me your secret name and giving me power over your life, Bruce said. When Bobby nodded, Bruce reached out and hugged him. He then began to cry, for although everything about them was different, Bruce realized he had found something that his heart was longing for, a real friend. One afternoon, after walking the trails with Bobby, Bobby told him that his father had died. His body was still in his hammock. Bobby showed no ex expression, no tears. Some men took Bobby's father and the hammock, and they tied it high into the trees so that the vultures could come and pick at the body. After this, Bruce wanted to see the chief of the tribes, but learned that this man thought Bruce was a cannibal waiting to kill him. In fact, when Bruce left the Motolones the first time, the chief came the very next day to kill him. 
but Bruce still wanted to meet him. After convincing some members to take him there, they began walking when Bruce got real sick. Then one motelone asked, Bruce, how do you get your eyes that color? Can we do that too? What color? asked Bruce. Why, it's a pretty yellow color. Yellow? Bruce wondered. Oh no, yellow. I have hepatitis, and it's a three-day journey to the chief. What he needed was a hospital. So the motelones pressed on till they came to a clearing. There the chief came out to kill Bruce, but the others said, you can't kill a sick man. Just then, a helicopter flew overhead. Bruce begged to be brought outside. When the helicopter noticed a white man, he put down in a clearing, picked Bruce up, and brought him to the nearest hospital. He spent three weeks in the hospital recovering. If he had stayed hours longer in the jungle, he most likely would have been dead. Against the doctor's wishes, he said he was going back. And before he left the doctor, um, he asked the doctor for a whole tote load of medicines for the motelones. The doctor, out of compassion, illegally gave Bruce all of the necessary items he asked for. Bruce returned to the motelones with the medicine and with flea collars, but he needed a way to dispense these valuable items. You see, the motelones already had their way of doing things. The witch doctor. We don't need you, they told Bruce. We have our ways. Soon afterwards, a breakout of pink eye occurred, and everybody in the tribe was miserable. The witch doctor would chant her incantation sometimes for 20 hours a day. Bruce came to her and told her he had a potion called teramycin that would work. But the witch doctor refused him. He thought, how could he use the witch doctor without destroying her critical role in society? You see, he had known other missionaries who got rid of the witch doctor because they said that they were, those witch doctors were calling on demons. But that wasn't true in the Motolones. The witch doctor tried to help by praying to God the best way she knew how. Then he had an idea. He went to someone with pink eye, put his finger in his eye, and then put the pus in his own eye. Within days, Bruce developed pink eye, and the witch doctor began doing her chants that Bruce knew would not work. He suggested that she rub the teramycin in his eye. After pleading and pleading, she finally relented, and she did, and soon Bruce got better. But the witch doctor wasn't ready to use it on her people. A couple days later, Bruce saw her fatigue leaving a house after so much chanting. What's causing all this sickness, he asked. The evil spirits are showing their power, and I'm chanting to call on God to heal them, she replied. Why doesn't he do it, Bruce asked. Because we've deceived God, she said. How did you deceive God? A prophet came to us and said that he could show us where there is a better hunt. So we followed him and left God. When did this happen? Well, many, many, many years ago. We've only heard the story, but we know we are far from God. As they talked more, Bruce began to see that she trusted him. He offered her the antibiotic again, and she used the medicines on her people, and within three days, they were better. Bruce was able to use the witch doctor to introduce more ways of helping the Motolones. He was also able, with their help, to, uh, to introduce corn and cattle through, through his relationship with the chief. Within a few years, there were eight health centers, and these centers were not staffed by any white people. He was the only white person there. It was all staffed by Motolones. They had not been required or asked to give up their old way of life. Bruce had been there four years, and still he could not find a way to tell them about Jesus. He knew too much about their beliefs that every way he thought of talking with them, he knew they would just say, oh, that's the white man's way. Bruce prayed earnestly, 
Jesus, take me out of the way. Jesus, become immortal Lord. That prayer signaled the turning point. Something significant happened. Bruce and Bobby and a few others were traveling from one communal home to another when Bruce heard excruciating yells that seemed to come from many mouths. The crisis seemed more desperate as Bruce quickened his pace. He had never heard a motolone cry like this. But Bobby and the others kept walking. Stop, Bruce yelled. What sh what's the shouting? Shouldn't we see if we can help? Bobby hung his head. Another man, a witch doctor, said, There's nothing we can do, Bruce. Well, what's happening? No one answered. Bruce got agitated. Maybe you don't care, but I do. I'm going to see if I can help. Bobby and the group still didn't answer, and Bruce noticed something he had never seen. The Motolones were sad. You don't have to come with me, Bruce said, and he turned to the voices, and the others followed. When Bruce got closer, he saw two men, one he knew well, a fierce warrior who killed oil executives for their hard hats so he could use them for cooking. He was standing in front of a hole that he had dug at least six feet deep. And in a desperate searching voice, he was shouting, God, God, come out of the hole. Another man was high up in a tree and he was stuffing leaves into his mouth while shouting, God, God, come from the horizon. It was the strangest sight he had ever seen. Bob and the others, Bobby and the others walked next to Bruce and they looked sad and embarrassed. You knew about this? Bruce asked. Bobby nodded. What's the matter? Bobby explained that the brother of the man shouting in the hole had died in a region that was not his home. This meant that his language, his spirit, his life could not get to God beyond the horizon. Now the man was trying to look for God to get him to bring his brother's language back to life to live in his body. And what makes him think that he can find God by calling into a hole, Bruce asked. Bobby shrugged. It's his good places any to look this is why god let bruce live he was there to tell them where they could find god it's no point the man shouting into the hole said we've been deceived bruce asked how and he heard again the story of the false prophet that had led them away from god then the man on the tree tried to explain another motalone language uh, legend but bruce didn't understand what it meant but he did understand in that moment that the Motolones had an acute sense of lostness and separation from God. Then a great discussion began. The, the man from the tree reminded Bruce again about a prophet that would come. The prophet would tell them about God and, and God would come out of the banana stalks. Why would God come out of a banana stalk, Bruce asked. The men looked puzzled as to why Bruce would su ask such a ridiculous question. Then Bobby walked over to a banana stalk and cut out a piece of it, a chunk of it, split it with his machete. The leaves were still in the stalk waiting to come out. It looked like pages in a book. Book, book. Bruce, the, the, the words just raced through his mind. He grabbed the Bible from his pack. This, this is God's banana stalk. The man from the tree grabbed the Bible, tore some pages out, and began stuffing them into his mouth. Then uh, when, when nothing happened, he, he said, he, why? Why isn't anything happening, Bruce? The Motolones thought that if you eat God's word, you would have a new language. You would have God's life in you. How was Bruce going to explain that God and Jesus had been like them? Then he remembered a Motolone language about a Motolone that became an ant. 
A man had been sitting on a trail after a long hunt, and he noticed ants trying to build a home. Well, he wanted to help them build a good home, like the Motolone's home. So he started digging in the dirt. He realized that he, he was so big and so unknown, and the ants had been so afraid and had run away. Then miraculously, the Motolone man became an ant. And he thought like an ant. He looked like an ant. He spoke the language of ants, and then the ants trusted him. He told them that before he became an ant, he was a Motolone, and he had tried to help, but he scared the ants. Then the ants said their version of, oh, no kidding, that was you? And they all laughed with him. Then at that moment, he was turned into a Motolone, but when he tried to help, the ants this time knew him and trusted him and allowed them to help him build a perfect home. It was an amazing parallel for what God had done in Jesus. Bruce took the word for becoming like an ant and used it for the incarnation. God is incarnated into man, he said. Bob and the others gasped. This idea stunned them. Where did he walk? The witch doctor asked in a whisper. You see, every moat alone has his own trail. It's his personal point of identity. You walk on someone else's trail if you want to find him. So God, too, would have a trail. If you want to find God, you need to walk on his trail. Bruce's heart was pounding. This was five years in the making. Jesus Christ, as God became man, he can show you God's trail. A look of astonishment and fear overcame them. The man who had been shouting into the hole said in a coarse whisper, show us Christ. Bruce fumbled for an answer. You killed Christ, he said. His eyes got big. I killed Christ? How did I do that? Bruce then asked, how do evil and death and deception find power over the Motolone people? Through the years, Bobby answered. Because language is so important to the Motolones, it's the essence of life. If evil language comes through the ears, it means death. Bruce continued, do you remember how after a hunt for wild boars, the leader cuts the skin from the animal and puts it over his head to cover his ears to keep the evil spirits of the jungle out? They nodded, listening closely. Jesus Christ was murdered. But just as you pull the skin over the chieftain's head to hide the ears, so Jesus, when he died, pulled his blood over your deception and hides it from the sight of God. Bruce stood looking at them, hoping they would understand. And they did. Then he picked up the Bible and opened it. The Bible speaks that Jesus came alive after death and that Jesus is alive today. One of the men grabbed the book and held it to his ear. I don't hear anything. Bruce took it back and said, well, the way the Bible speaks, it doesn't change. It's, it's like the papers of your speech that I have written out. It's the same word day to day from one day to the next. The Bible says that Jesus came back to life. The Bible is God's banana stock. No one has ever come back to life in Motolone history, one man said. I know, Bruce replied, but Jesus did. It's proof that he is really God's son. They asked more questions. Many he didn't understand, but he prayed that God would use this in their lives. One evening around the fire, Bobby looked at Bruce. How can I walk Jesus' trail, Bruchko? No Motolone has ever done it. It's a new thing. There's no Motolone who could ever show us how to do it. Bobby, Bruce said, do you remember my first festival of arrows, the first time I'd seen the Motolones gathered to sing their song? 
the festival was the most important cultural ceremony for the Motolones. Bobby nodded and the fire flared momentarily and Bruce saw his eyes staring at him. He continued, do you remember I was afraid to climb high into the hammocks to sing for fear that the rope would break? And I told you, I will only sing if I can have one foot in the hammock and one foot on the ground. Yes, Bruchko, said Bobby. What did you say to me, Bobby? Bobby laughed. I told you, you have to have both feet in the hammock. You have to be suspended, I said. Yes, Bruce replied. You have to be suspended. That is how it is when you follow Jesus, Bobby. No man can tell you how to walk his trail. Only Jesus can. But to find out, you have to tie your hammock strings into Jesus. You have to be suspended in God. Bobby said nothing. The fire danced in his eyes. Then he stood up and walked into the darkness. The next day, Bobby came to Bruce. Bruchko, he said, I want to tie my hammock strings into Jesus. But how can I? I can't touch him or see him. You've talked to the spirits, haven't you, asked Bruce? Oh, Bobby said, I see you now. The next day, Bobby had a big grin on his face. Bruchko, he said, I've tied my hammock strings into Jesus. I now speak a new language. Bruce didn't understand what he meant. Have you learned some of the Spanish that I speak, he asked. Bobby laughed a sweet laugh. No, I speak a new language. And Bruce understood language is life. If Bobby had a new language, Bobby had a new life. Bruce put his arm around Bobby and he remembered what it was like when he first became a follower of Jesus. Bobby was experiencing this now. He had begun to walk with Jesus. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, Bobby shouted, so that the sound filtered far off into the jungle. He has walked our trails. I have met him. From that day, the relationship between Bruce and Bobby was enhanced by their love for Jesus. They talked constantly about Bob, with him about, and Bobby asked him many questions, but he never asked Bruce the color of Jesus' hair or what he looked like. To Bobby, Jesus had dark skin, dark eyes. He hunted with bow and arrow. Jesus was a motelone. Bruce was lying in his hammock the next morning when he heard some commotion. Tiger, I couldn't move, a man outside was saying. Bruce asked someone about what was happening. The man looked shaken. Didn't you hear? He said, the tiger spoke. What tiger? Bruce asked. Spoke what? Tigers don't speak, and if they could, who cares? Oh, when the tiger speaks, the man said, we're in big trouble. Bruce then walked away and found the chief. The chief said that the tiger says that the spirits will come out of the rocks tonight. Lives will end. Languages will be snuffed out. Then Bobby found Bruce. Bruchko, Bobby asked, can Jesus be taken out of my mouth? There was fear in his voice. What is this all about, Bobby? The spirits come out of the rocks, Bruchko. They try to kill. Sometimes one dies, sometimes many, but someone always dies. Can Jesus be taken out of my mouth, Bruchko? Bruce didn't have an answer. I don't know, Bobby. Ask Jesus. He's the only one who has the answer to your question. He'll tell you in your heart. Bruce went for a walk, and when he returned, it was nearly dark. As soon as he entered the clearing, he noticed the house swaying and he heard strange incantations and songs. He was almost afraid to enter. Inside, the fires cast an eerie glow. The men were up in the hammocks chanting to ward off the devil. 
The women were on the floor clasping rocks together. Then Bruce saw Bobby. He was swinging in his hammock. Bruce grabbed the poles that supported Bobby's hammock and shimmied up them nearly 20 feet. When he got up there, he saw Bobby smiling and listening. He heard Bobby's song. It was, it was different from all the others. Jesus is in my mouth, Bobby sang. I have a new speech. Jesus is in my mouth. No one can take him from me. I speak Jesus' words. I walk Jesus' steps. I am Jesus' boy. He has filled my stomach, and I am no longer hungry. When dawn came, no one had died. It was the first in anyone's memory. And although no one asked Bobby, no one asked about Bobby's song, Bruce could tell that many had a newfound interest in Bobby. Bruce noticed over a number of weeks that Bobby began to change. He was less proud. He wasn't as stubborn anymore. The men of the tribe noticed this change and wondered what caused it. Bruce was eager for Bobby to tell the other Motolones, but Bobby wasn't doing it. It was, was, it, uh, was it because he, he doesn't care for them, he wondered? Bruce was becoming impatient. Word spread that there would be another festival of arrows. Packs would be formed, arrows would be exchanged, and the men forming the pack would have a singing contest high up in the hammocks. People streamed into the home that evening. Word spread about Bobby and how no one died the night of the tiger. An older chief had a new interest and respect for Bobby. On the first night, he challenged him to song. That night, Bobby climbed into his hammock. This is what he sang. Jesus Christ was incarnated into man. He has walked our trails. He is God, yet we can know him. The home was deathly silent. Everyone was listening. The song continued for eight hours, ten hours. Attention didn't slack. Finally, after 14 hours, they quit singing and climbed down from the hammock. The next day, the chief found Bobby. You've communicated true news, he said. I, too, want to suspend myself into Jesus. I want to pull his blood over my deception. That very night, a spiritual revolution swept over the people. No one who heard about Jesus rejected the good news. There was tremendous jubilation. God had spoken. He had spoken in the Motelon language and through the Motelon people. The celebration continued long into the night as little groups would break into spontaneous song. Bruchko, Bruce Olson, risked his life. He faced death several times to bring eternity to the hearts of men and women to a tribe deep in the Amazon. Bruce still lives today with the Motolone people. And over the past 40 years, he has gained an incredible influence. He's been the friend of many Colombian presidents. He has spoken to the UN regarding issues uh, about people who live in the Amazon. This is an inspiring story, right? It's one of my favorites, but it's God's story that's amazing. The story of Christ that's amazing. And this is the story that found the Motolones in their brutality and in their nakedness. They were found and it changed them forever. What about you?
Do you speak a new language? Do you walk Jesus' trail? Do you even see the sacrifice that God gave you in sending Jesus, his Messiah? Or are we just so much more intelligent, so much better than people who live in the Amazon that we can't see the beauty of what God did for us too? What about the forgiveness for our past and what we've done? For the Motolones, it was their deception of God. What about you? The Motolones realized that they needed to be forgiven for their deception. They knew they needed to be clean again. And we can be so different from people who live in the Amazon. We can justify and rationalize and pretend that we are in no need of forgiveness for our lives. Bobby tied his hammock strings into Jesus. He was suspended. He had to trust that Jesus would hold him, that Jesus would take care of him and change him. Bobby began to change. His life was being renewed from the inside out. Bobby needed a new life. When he met Jesus, it wasn't a brief encounter that made him happy. When he met Jesus, he spoke a new language. Not only did he speak a new language, he walked a new trail. Do you see it? You see, this is what God wants from you. Receiving Jesus in your life isn't a decision of a moment, but it's a decision of a lifetime. It's a new life. It's a new trail. It's a new way of living. It's a changed life. It's a new love. And some of us, we can be so callous towards the good news of Jesus because We've heard it all before. Sure, sure, we know it, I know it. And yet, if we were to really look at our lives, if, if most of us were really to look inside and be honest with ourselves, there has been really little change. Romans 1.16 says this. Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The good news that Bruce brought is precisely beautiful in the fact that it is for everybody who believes. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter what you look like or what culture you come from. The love of God through Jesus extends to everyone. Has this message, has the, this passion of God for you to know him, of real forgiveness, real hope, has it come to you? Have you suspended yourself in Jesus through faith in him and trusting him only that he can give you a new life? I had brought an old journal of mine. It goes back two decades to my senior year in college. I came to a point um, where uh, I said, I wrote, God, I believe all of this stuff. I believe all of it. God, you've changed my life. At this point, I was realizing that I was writing my own story. And then I held the pen. I was writing the storyline. 
the pen was in my hand. And that senior year, I, I gave it to the Lord Jesus, and I, I remember writing, and I wrote, Lord, would you write? I wrote, write my life. Here I am. Jesus, you are the hope of the world. You're the hope of the entire world. Break my heart for people. Help me invest in things that are going to outlast me. I don't want to settle. Write it, Lord Jesus. And again and again and again, the words just came flooding back to me. Give it away. Give it away. Give your life away. Just, just, just give it away. Okay, God, as long as you come with me. And, and um, the Lord said, to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. So how big is your world? My friends, you, you, you who are following Jesus... Learn to give your life away. Like, like Bruce, just learn to just give your life away. Trust me, you will not, listen, friends, you will not stand before God and complain to him that you shared the love of Christ too many times. You will never say, God, I wasted my time with you. May God use this so simple story of this man who had an extravagant love to bring Jesus to a people who desperately need him. May it deepen your joy of God and your love for the gospel as you go and impact new lives. Would you guys stand with me as I close in prayer? Sometimes we look at a man like Bruce Olson, who is still alive, Lord. He's your son. And we just think that is extraordinary. That is just so amazing, and Lord. But I know that someday soon he's going to stand face to face with you. And he's, he's going to say, I did what you asked me to do. And Lord Jesus, you will see him and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, would you empower us? speak the name of Jesus to those who are far off. And Lord Jesus, my unending prayer is that those who are standing here, standing with me, that they would be present when you come, because you're coming again, when you come to judge the hearts of men and women, the living and the dead. Would they be present because they've tied their strings by faith into the one true living God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.